Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Um, I have a typical African mom. And that means, amidst many other idiosyncratic behaviors, she sends me WhatsApp broadcast messages from time to time. But there was this particular one I liked because it was instructive. Not because it was actually an instructive message in and of itself. It was actually comedy. And many so-called Christian comedians crossed the line. But this one, there was some sense to it. This comedian set out to prove that God was always partial to ladies in the Bible. And so I literally just listened because I was waiting to see how he was going to make his case. He said, well, start from the very beginning. If ate the fruit and God didn't show up. I mean, just imagine what might have happened had God shown up when Eve alone ate the fruit. It would have been a different ball game. game. The woman is fallen and man is in anyway. But, <laughs> but he waited for the man to eat it. And when man ate it, he showed up. According to this guy, I think his name is Loud Voice, CFR or something like that. And then he didn't ask for the person who ate the fruit first. He said, Adam, Adam, where are you? I was like, oh boy. <laughs> Listen. Of course, I'm a theologian, so I, I can answer all these questions, but that just, you know, just ruins the point of the whole humor thing. So I was just going with the flower and was like, well, in some sense, you know, thinking like a comedian, he does have, have a point. But the one that really struck me was this. He said, just think about it. Stephen, who had done ministry in a prolific way, preaching the gospel everywhere he went, now, people gather, they pick up stones to kill Stephen. And they're stoning him and nothing happens. God didn't show up. No angel appeared. Nothing happened. Stephen dies. Then one woman is caught. She even sinned. She was caught on the bed of adultery. And was brought before they even said anything. Jesus just came and said, hey, hey, hey. He dies without sin. Cast the first stone. At least so he says. And then, of course, you know, he gave many more examples. He, he, I mean, I, I, I'm talking about a comedian, so excuse this one. He said, Jesus is walking. Have the imagery of the Jews. Uzzah touches the ark and he dies on the spot. You know, Jesus is walking. Someone touched him. He turns back angry. Who touched me? You know, ready to provoke. I mean, that's what the guy says. And then he turns and sees a woman. And say, uh... I said, your faith has made you whole. <laughs> or something like that. Then the last one. An angel appears to Mary. Says, you're going to have a child. She says, how, can this, how shall these things be? And the angel explains. <laughs> and then the same angel. Same angel. 
appears to Zachariah. He says, your wife is going to have a child. And he said, he asked the same question. How shall these things be? And the angel was annoyed. <laughs> and I said that to say this. This is a very interesting way to introduce the sermon because at the end of the day, you just realize that God, as much as he honors his word above his name, he still treats us according to the level of our understanding because at the end of the day, to whom much is given, much is required, right? And so, of the many reasons why he wouldn't answer Mary the way he answered Zechariah, of course, Mary's only needed explanation. She's a virgin. And you're saying she's going to have a child. You better explain. Zechariah, on the other hand, was already married. His wife had been barren for years. And he and his wife had prayed about it. So how dare you then be asking how shall these things be? My friend, go and go home and act on the word of God. But I think the most prolific reason is this. You are Zachariah. The angel's provocation was first and foremost, I'm, I'm Gabriel. You are, you are the high priest. You know who I am. You should know that you should be able to take and embrace what I tell you. So there's a reason why the angel might be willing to explain to someone like Mary and not to Zechariah. You know better. You know the things of the spirit. You've handled the word of life. You understand the supernatural. And you're asking how? I'm not joking here. I'm Gabriel. I'm here from the presence of God. And so what might be an occasion for education for one will be seen as insubordination for another. Come on, are you getting what I'm saying? Because at the end of the day, to whom much is given, much is required. And the same Jesus who is ever ready to answer every question and to help people grow in his knowledge, the same Jesus will respond to the question of Nicodemus and say, are you a real teacher of the Jews and you don't know this? You ought to know this one. I'm still going to answer you, but are you a teacher of the Jews and you don't know this? So you see, in our walk with God, God wants us to grow. Not just to play church. Not just to be coming around regularly. I mean, it's good that you come for midweek service. But it's important that, I mean, you are ready to put to test what you are learning. Say loud, amen. You know, and so there are two texts that I'm going to use to highlight this. You know, the popular one, you know, if you're a member of this church, you know, Philippians 1, 25. Where Paul says, convinced of this. I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. So meaning, it's not enough to just show up regularly in church. There is something Paul calls furtherance in the faith. Where you can say, this is where I was in my understanding before I came to this church. And this is where I am now. Furtherance in the faith. The more common terminology for that is spiritual growth. Furtherance in the faith. When you go for a job interview, they ask you questions according to the qualification you claim to have. Because there are questions that you should be able to have and, and problems you should be able to solve at this level. So how is it that you think it's okay for you to have 
being a student of the word of God, being in church for 10 years, 20 years, and you don't know the things of the spirit. It's fortunate in the faith. I must grow. God wants me to grow. I must be interested in growth. I must abominate mediocrity. Say that with me. Say, I abominate mediocrity. You know, and then you, you come to these texts that actually talks about the different levels of spiritual growth. Listen, in salvation, we are all one. But in consecration and in ministry, we are different levels. And so John's letter, 1 John chapter 2, from verse 12, you see the different levels. Because as it is spiritually, as it is biologically, so it is spiritually. A baby is as much a human being as an adult. An old man is as much a human being as a young man. But there are, there are different levels of development. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? And so... Um, Peter says to desire the sincere milk of the word of God that you may grow. But that's not where we're going. John says, verse 12 of 1 John 2, I write unto you little children. And when you read the context well, you realize this has nothing to do with age. He's not talking to toddlers. I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you. For his name's sake. So listen, when it comes to salvation, this is all you need to know. Believe in your heart the Lord Jesus. Confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. He has forgiven you for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Oh, I'm a new man in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. I have nothing to give you. That's the, that's the song of a babe. You think you have nothing to offer. Because you see, when a child is born, a newborn baby has no contribution in the house. He doesn't know how food is prepared. He just knows when he's hungry, he will cry. And food must show up. Otherwise, he won't sleep. And when you bring, you know, the feeder, you know, or the bottle, he will, he will eat the way someone eats when he's not worried about rent. Have you seen children enjoying food? They just carry the leg like this, you know, and just, you know, no care in this world. Children are the responsibility of the kingdom. Sons are responsible for the kingdom. There comes a time where, you know, necessity is laid on you. In that same house, that they were bringing you food as a toddler. A time will come when you say, Mommy, I'm hungry. She'll say, Go into the kitchen. Hey, what do you want me? What, uh -huh. So, what should I do about that? Go into the kitchen and fix yourself something. That's maturity. And that's how it happens spiritually. Say loud amen if you have followed me. So, so this, is, this is more like level one. I write unto you, children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Oh, so sweet, so wonderful. But then, in verse 13, he says, I write unto you fathers. He's not talking to old people in terms of chronological age. He's using these metaphors of experience, spiritual experience. I write unto you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. You have known him. 
you have known him. You've had this walk with God for a while. Your convictions have solidified. You are not wavering. You have had the experiences in God. Things that you can look back to. Such that when Goliath is in your front, you can recount how you recount God's faithfulness with the lion and with the bear. I write unto you, fathers. Come on, are you with me? Has nothing to do with age. In the realm of the spirit, a 60-year-old man can be a baby. And a teenager can be a father. Has nothing to do with chronological age. Just means you've known him from the beginning. Oh my God. Then next he says, I write unto you who? Just to be sure you're following. Come on, I write unto you who? He says, because you have overcome the wicked one. Youth is synonymous with strength. So in this spiritual adolescence, you must have learned to put the devil in his place. You have overcome the wicked one, you know, and then the deliverance minister in you is rising up when you hear stuff like this, kind of stuff, you know, so now you're thinking he's talking about warfare prayers and all of that. And in a sense, that's included because in your spiritual adolescence, you must Understand in Christ's consciousness, you must be conscious of who you are in Christ. The authority you have in Christ. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they shall cast out devils, speak with new tongues, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You must have begun practicing all those things and seen at least some measure of result in your life. But as good Bible theologians, we must learn to interpret in context. So who is a young man and what does he mean? That you have overcome the wicked one. Well, look at it in the next verse. So in a poetic fashion, he rewinds a little bit, says something he has said before, just for re-emphasis. Again, he addresses the fathers. I have written unto you, fathers, for you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. This is how... You have overcome the wicked one. He says you are strong and the word of God abides in you. Oh, Sapataria Kapotes. He says because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. He's talking about doers of the word. This is spiritual adolescence. Paul described it this way. He says that you henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So when you begin to handle the word of God and the imprints, the consciousness of the word of God is in your mind, in your soul, in your spirit, you are the one he's talking about. You're no more tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Ephesians 4, 14. By the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of their deceitful plotting. So, now, listen. Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter your ability to cast out devils. <laughs> I can argue who never healed a dick. 
you have to understand God sees different. And so as much as we emphasize the miraculous as a ministry, you have to understand how God categorizes greatness. He measures greatness by understanding just the fact that John the Baptist could point to him and say, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That statement alone outclassed all the fire bending that Elijah ever did. And he says, he that is least in the kingdom is greater than John. It's a revelation thing. Are you with me? So this is so important. So listen, I move to spiritual adolescence. When I begin to handle the word of God, I'm no longer tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. He says, when you do that, you have overcome the wicked one. Ah, my God. And you're like, well, that's it. And I'm like, that's it. Thank God for spiritual warfare. But this is the real warfare. Knowing the word of God, that's the real warfare. You see, I've said this and for the opt-in time, I'm going to say it again. Every time you saw the devil in person in the Bible, interacting with humans, not through temptations, I mean direct interaction, you discover that Nollywood is wrong. In Nollywood, the devil is obvious and conspicuous and he will just come in very large horns and then you will, will just start fighting immediately. You know, have you seen all those movies where the pastor is fighting the herbalist? Ridiculous. So the herbalist will do his own incantations. Then the pastor, you know, the pastor might even fall. Then he will charge and quote some psalms. <laughs> and the herbalist will start, you know, falling down gradually, you know, and all those things. And for that reason, a lot of people look normal and think they are not going through spiritual battles because they've not seen anyone in a red cloth outrightly challenging them. Are you with me? Some even think that because they have a good job and because they are not sick, the devil is not on their case. Meanwhile, in the Bible, the devil shows up as a nice guy. Who wants you to have more, more money and has an advice? Look at all the kingdoms of this world, all this world. Oh, do you like this? Oh, you like that car? Oh, you like that house? You can have it just like this. You that has been looking for daily bread. Now you see everything you ever dreamt of. I will give you now. Just bow. That's the devil. Transforming himself as an angel of light. Offering good advice. Acting like he's on your side. Making God look like the bad guy. God said, this is my beloved son. He says, if you are the son. Like, you got to do it. You got to prove it. So, his battle was against the word of God to corrupt the word of God. 
that's, that's the real warfare. And that's the real arena for the demonstration of spiritual adolescence. That's the real arena. When he comes to Eve and says, did God say? Let me tell you this. You know that the devil is trying to attack you when circumstances present themselves constantly to try to make you shift your position about something the word clearly says. That's how you know you're under attack. It's not when your house is physically burning. It's when your heart is conflicted. Something you believed from day one, all of a sudden. Has it happened that events just targeted at one conviction constantly, back to back? That's an attack. I'm telling you now. Because an adolescent, a spiritual adolescent knows he sees the devil a mile off. A mile away, he knows. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Come on, are you getting what I'm saying? Uh, that's what maturity is. Do you know when he says, we're not ignorant of his devices? He, you, know, you know what he was saying? He was talking about forgiveness. When someone hurts you, forgive. For we, he says, if you don't forgive, the devil will take advantage of you. You would have thought he was saying, if you don't have night vigils regularly, which you should, you know, um, or at least longer hours of prayers, whether it's in the night or in the day. He says, the devil will take advantage of you if you don't forgive. It's in the small things, the things you are more likely to ignore. Are you getting what I'm saying? <laughs> it's in the things you are more likely to ignore. And these things are so important that even if you spend hours praying, and now are studying, but you don't know them, you have still not overcome. I'm telling you. It might be true legally, but not actually. This is the way you put the devil in his place, with knowledge. Listen, in Ephesians 4.14, that we read, all right? The Greek word that was used there is methodoia or methodia. The same way you spell method, right? Method with, exactly, E-I-A actually. You want to know where else it was used in the Bible? Just two places. And it was also used in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Please open Ephesians 6, 11 as fast as you can. So, like I said, in Ephesians 4, 14... The word lie in wait to deceive is one Greek word. Lie in wait to deceive. It says not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, you know, and then it talks about the trickery of men whereby they lie in wait to deceive. That, that sentence is one Greek word. Or that phrase is one Greek word, methodoia, right? And it, it was used in Ephesians 6.11, and this is what Ephesians 6.11 says. It says, put on 
the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the lying in wait to deceive of the devil. You somehow, when you read wiles of the devil, especially in the KJV, you think he's talking about some weapon. Some outright assault, you know. Some rifle, some form of supernatural weapon that the devil wants to use against you. You think of it as some form of spiritual gun. But the word means trickery. A lot of people don't know that this is how the devil really fights. He fights by pretending to be on your side. He tries to trick you. So now, lying in wait to deceive, how does that work? There are some people you cannot stand up to toe-to-toe. -to -toe. But with the element of surprise, you can have the advantage. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, when they don't see you coming, and they're just walking on their own, and you just jump from behind like that lame move that P.K. did in the movie Loving Amanda... Even if someone is not, even if someone is stronger than you, with the element of surprise from behind, you can just from behind just come quickly hit the person. Bah! You get that? And this imagery is how Paul is describing what the devil does. He lies in wait. He can't stand toe to toe with you. So nine out of ten, ten of the times, let me tell you something. The church is usually focused on the drama side of the devil. When he actually, you know, comes. Most of the time, he's lying in wait to deceive. And so what do you do? You put on the whole armor of God. So the armor of God is not actually on your body. It's in your mind. Are you getting what I'm saying? Because the weapon of the enemy is trickery. It's deception. So when he says, by the way, all these texts were just to help you better understand what I was reading in 1 John 2. Come on, are you still with me? So that's what we're actually doing here. So now, back to 1 John 1, 2. When he says, I write unto you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. That's really how to put the devil in his place. Being aware of his wiles. Knowing that he's going to try to bring legitimate causes for unforgiveness in your life. So that you'll be so obsessed with proving a point to someone. In so doing, jeopardizing your own destiny. Now, that's how the devil works. So obsessed with what someone did eight years ago. So stuck in your past, you can't look at the future anymore. What I just said is one of the major ways. So, and that's just an example. There are many ways he does that. Through deception. Through your mind. The weapons of our warfare, Paul says, are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Again, this is not an outright physical or spiritual battle. But it's in the mind casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, 
Your number one defense against the devil is knowledge. So that you can see him from a mile apart. And know he's coming. He's coming. From nowhere. You. That has been so blessed in church. Then someone in church hurts you. And then you stop coming. What cost it might be legitimate. But at the end of the day. The wiles of the enemy. So Paul says. This guy that we kicked out of the church in 1 Corinthians 5. Let's bring him back. Let the devil take advantage. See, so now, you begin to grow spiritually when you can see beyond the matter at hand to see the influencing force behind. Are you getting this? Uh-huh. So, let the devil take advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices. That's adolescence. Are you getting what I'm saying? And all the demons go, oh, you know, catch us. If in that church, they are praying, die, 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 but they don't know what I just explained, the devil will still hold sway. That's just an example. I want to show you one more, one more example. Are you in First John chapter 2? Glory to God. So now, we stop at verse 14. And you have overcome the wicked one. And then in verse 15, he says, Love not the world. Oh God. This is how you put the devil in his place. He says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. See, about two months ago, I taught you about fire triangle and how you extinguish fire scientifically. So there are three elements that are necessary for fire to thrive. And those three elements must be present at the same time. Who can tell me what they are? Oxygen, heat, and fuel, right? So now, what many extinguishers will do will be to suck off one of those elements. The devil will almost never, it's just like a snake, will only fight when there's almost no way, alright? Almost never put a direct assault. We just try to affect something that is working in your devotional construct. That's what he would try to do. So you think that the devil will just outrightly try to get you to start doing things that are really bad. (laughs) A man, Tim Keller, explained it this way. He said, sin is not just wanting bad things. It is wanting good things badly. Are you with me? I'm helping you explain how the devil moves. It is not just wanting bad things. It is wanting wanting good things badly. So, food is from God. And God even created a mechanism to help us desire it when we need it. Named hunger. But food in excess is gluttony. Thirst is good. 
thirst in excess is drunkenness. Sex is good. Sex in excess is... is, So, it is... Even the good things that are gifts from God can be perfected. And so, what the devil does is to introduce you to a life without boundaries. That God planted a whole garden and said, just don't eat this one. Do you know some people still demand an explanation? Why did God put the tree of life there? And of course, there are deeper theological explanations to that. But on a surface level, how dare you? Don't you see your mind is already... Maybe this... Have you, are you sure the serpent has not been talking to you? Because that's what the serpent tried to get Eve to do. That What right does God have to plant a whole garden and say, don't eat of one? Somehow, we have justified it in our mind that even if we have a whole garden... That God created sex, created marriage, put boundaries in it. But we say, why can't we stretch it this far? Why can't we do it this way? He's the one who gave it to us in the first place. But we blame him for the boundaries. And we are stuck in the arguments of the extremes. And we think we're making sense. That's the deception. The wiles of the devil. Are you with me? Did God say? Then the next thing. It's not that bad. The same thing he did with Jesus. Jump from the pinnacle of the temple. After all. This is one way you will know that the devil is after you. When gradually we're living in life without boundaries, the devil wants to eradicate any sense of sacredness around you. You think it is freedom, but it is death. You think it's freedom, but it's death. You become reckless. Just climb the pinnacle of the temple and fall. Not because anyone pushed you, but because it is written. So now, when you find a point in your walk with God where you are excusing excesses, are you with me? Because of some things the word said, you are in this WhatsApp group. Are you with me? This is very important. Love not the world, not the things of the world. And then he assures you, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You you can't keep both. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not. So now, the devil has found a strategy. I don't have to stop you from coming to church. 
I can just dilute what you are doing until it is pointless. I, I don't have to pray, study, do everything, carry out those activities. But now, I will bring in a contradiction so strong. And the moment I'm, I have you sold on that, is the Bible says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so gradually, everything the devil should have done, that lust will begin to do. Because now there's a new God in your life. It might be money. Do you know, we have embraced a work culture that is so ungodly. We, some of us worship the works of our hands. And apart from the spiritual significance of the Sabbath, there is just, there's just, a, there is just a godly work culture. Think about it. Think about it. You see, God's people had a culture that God gave them. And all the other pagan nations, you know, just imagine how it, it would have been being um, a foreigner in Israel. And they work six days a week. And on the seventh day, no one is working. Everybody go home. Spend time with your family. Worship the Lord. That's a work culture. And now, the devil has popularized the, a work culture. Where you have no, no time for anything else. And do you know, it's now so popular, you don't see it as a problem. You damage your health to make money. Then you now use the money to treat yourself in your old age. That's what many people are doing. Especially in this Lagos. You wake up 4 a.m. You hit the road. Get to work 8. Leave office by 7. Get home 12. Sleep for 4 hours. And then you continue. But because even though you are in traffic most of the time, the car is nice. And listen, and that's the thing about our Jesus. We don't have an unreasonable high priest. We don't have a high priest that is not touched with the feelings of our infirmity. How much less, you know, me, your pastor. I know what it's like. I know that at the beginning years of the career, you can't start determining how much holiday you have. But this is the beginning. You have to at least know it's not normal. <laughs> you have to at least know it's not normal. Because guess what? Some people get so used to it that even when they rise up and have the freedom to have those holidays, they are so, they are so addicted to that lifestyle. They don't change. It's just a rat race. You are pursuing something all your life. All your life. You, and, and then 
when you are competing with people around you, you will never be satisfied. Because there will always be something to push you. always be something to push you. It's, it's a miserable way to live. Love not the world. Not the things that are in the world. See, let me tell you something. Cattle on a thousand hills are the Lord's. Are you getting what I'm saying? We're talking about an inordinate affection for these things. That now makes them an abomination. Love not the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, let me say this. Sermons like these are difficult to preach. Not for whatever reason came to your mind first. I will tell you why. Because when you look at the church, there are two extremes. There are people who have taken love not the world to another extreme. They have no impact, no significance. They are like ghosts. They, they know nothing that is happening. That also is wrong. Come, come on, are you listening to me? That also is wrong. But then there are some people who are falling for the deceitfulness of riches, the deceitfulness of Satan. That somehow they just want the world to love them. They want, they want to blend in so bad. That's why he tells you love not the world. Let me tell you something. If you are a Christian, something must give. At some point, you must carry your cross. Are you getting what I'm saying? So now, Jesus says, he that loves his life shall lose it. Then he says, he that loses his life. In your own context, what have you lost? If you can't count one opportunity where you suffered. I'm not talking about, oh, God came through for me. Yeah, God comes through for us. But listen, if you can't count any tribulation that you experienced, maybe, just maybe, you are not living for God in the first place. Just maybe. Because he said you're going to lose your life. And so there will be that pressure. Some business deals you can't take. You know what I'm saying now. Some things you can't do. And others are getting away with it. And it's not easy. <laughs> From a natural standpoint, it's not easy. I've had people with strong convictions ask me, because now you're trying to do business and it's hard and you know that there's just some things you will do that will move. You will not appreciate what Moses did until you remember that Pharaoh was his adopted father. <laughs> he was not a stranger. You stand up to your own father vigor. And said, this is what God said. Let my people go. That they may serve me. The writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 11, he says he chose to suffer with Israel than to enjoy the fleeting riches of Egypt. Now, you see, those Israelites must have annoyed him particularly. 
Because they were the ones acting posh. Complaining about the type of water, the type of bread. And he even had a better life than them. He grew up, he was a child of privilege. He grew up in the palace. He had more to lose. He had more to lose. So, now, you must come to a point in your walk with God where you have overcome fear of missing out. <laughs> you have overcome fear of missing out. If you didn't have that money illegally, and if you're like, let your car be gold, I can't envy you. You must have dealt with those things in your heart. I can't envy you. If you like, let the car be flying like this. That when there is traffic, it will just carry. I can't envy you. And even if it is legitimate, as long as I'm working hard, I'm okay with where I am. Listen, I might not be where I want to be. I'm not where I used to be. Glory be to God. I embrace my process. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. I'm happy for you. Do you know there are a lot of Christians who don't know these things? You can be a Christian and still be nursing jealousy consistently. You can be a pastor and be doing racing in your heart with the church next door. You are competing, no? I think that's the biggest irony in the world. Because the biggest demonstration of sacrifice is ministry. Then you now weaponize ministry for competition, for the flesh. Like Satan would just say, you know what, this is, this is ingenious. I, I think, I think, <laughs> like, I've seen flesh before, but this is a discovery. <laughs> Please, are you with me? Easier said than done, no? You, when you post a picture as a Christian lady, you have two likes. And then there is a lady, you know, you, let's not lie, we're not competitive. You are finer than times 10. But because she, her own button starts from here, should I talk or I should not talk? You know what I'm saying. Let me tell you something. Ladies in this generation, you must know your God and be strong. Because now you are hardworking, you love the Lord, you know, and then you are seeing some of your friends. You went to university, you know what I'm saying. Small girl, big God. Their life is changing. And at first, you might say, how can you be doing such a thing? She brought iPhone. She now brought car. <laughs> and then her daddy has a friend who is just ah, that's your roommate. <laughs> Listen, let me tell you something. The devil shifts conviction, convictions gradually. Before you know it, you just say, ah, but these older men are very kind. These young boys. They don't even know how to treat women. They, they don't have experience. Want to get here. 
<laughs> you, you, think, you think the devil will just come and say, today I'm going to get you to sin. No. No. So she will say, you know what? Don't do anything. Let's just go and eat. <laughs> then when you are eating, I say, ah, ah, take this tea fair. It's just for transport, 500,000. <laughs> you, maybe you don't understand. Think of what Jesus went through when they show you all the glories of this world. Do you know what that means? What that means? Solomon did not have all the glories of this world. And he said, I can give it to you at an instant. The devil's way seems faster. That's what makes it enticing. That's just now. When you see people doing internet fraud and you say, no. You might even be advising them. They will catch you. Guys, hmm. Then by the time they start rolling all of them in, in their cars, and then you with honest labor, you've worked hard. It, it, listen, it will have to take a strong conviction in the God we call Rehoboth. You know? You, listen, <laughs> the ultimate proof of consecration is time. If you can wait, it's time. Do you know what it means to wait? Waiting is hard. The first year, don't worry, my job is still coming. I know who I am. You know, I've prayed. I received the word. Second year, no job. Fourth year, sixth, and in, in the middle of all of this, you are seeing your friends taking off. And it's now beginning to look like your prayer is a mockery. Like, look at you. When we were all in school, you were doing as if we didn't know what we were doing. How has being a Christian sister helped you? How has being a Christian brother? But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Don't you dare ignore people walking on foot. God wants you to fly. It takes more time. It's not shortcut. But when you eventually take off, you're taking off in the sky. You're taking off in the sky. Taking off in the sky. Say loud amen if you believe. For someone here, is, 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 this is a prophetic word to you. You are, you, you are like, oh my God. Like, God must really love me. But it all starts with being okay. With your difference. Embrace it. Don't try to. So, now, this is what I'm asking you to do. This is what the word of God says you should do. Blending without compromise. You see, when Israel sinned against God, the prophets prophesied that they were going to be enslaved by Babylon. They didn't categorically say Babylon, but you know, but they prophesied that armies will come and take over their land and all of that. And he told them ahead of time, he says, in that land, 
blending, take their names. When you hear Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hebrew boys, those are not Hebrew names. They are blended in. Hallelujah. Listen, there's a guy who wrote a book. Let me see if I wrote his name here. Andrew Walls. Studies in the transmission of faith. And he said, the transmission of faith or the Christian's impact in the world must stand on two legs. Number one, it must be indigenous. Do you understand what I'm saying? It must be indigenous. Okay, for instance, missionaries have discovered something. They, they discovered that the old approach of just coming to a country you barely know, trying to plant a church there, the conversion rate will be slow. But if you have someone in that community that understands the culture that you can take and train and give the person materials and sponsor, the work will grow faster. Because whether you like it or not, there is an indigenous advantage. Are you getting what I'm saying? So if there is no such person, they must now go assimilate themselves. It will take years to understand the culture, dress like them, talk like them. And then you start. So Paul says to the Jews, I became a Jew that I may win some. It's very important that when in Acts chapter 17, you are preaching to the guys in Athens in Greece, Paul, who knew the scriptures and was ready to throw them around, he just used common sense. He didn't quote a single text because in the first place, they don't believe the scriptures. But he just said you to reason it. If God made the heaven and earth, is it that God you want to offer food in the calabash? He sustains all things. You can't sustain him. And he said, even your poet said, he quoted a popular poet. Your poet said, we are his offspring. So if you are his offspring, why do you think he's gold? These golden statues and idols you have. If you are his offspring, he, look, he looks like us. He can't be made of gold. Common sense. So while we keep the core, we must be indigenous in our approach. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't go about, oh my God. I wish I had more time. <laughs> people are not nice. <laughs> Don't go about, let me tell you something. You, you become a better evangelist when you know how to pick your battles. If they don't believe in trouser, don't wear it when you're going for evangelism. So that you don't spend half the time proving first that you are a Christian. Before you now tell them about Christ. Are you getting what I'm saying? It's just wisdom. You know what Paul said? Because in those days, before they even bring food, meat to the market to sell, they'll first offer it to idols. They'll first offer it to idols. And now there was a debate. What do we do? You know, should Christians eat that meat or not? And Paul says, the earth is Lord, the fullness thereof. He says, the idols are nothing. He says, just don't defy your conscience. Anybody who says, don't, does not want to eat, he does not eat unto the Lord. Anyone who eats, eats unto the Lord. That's, are you getting what I'm saying? So now, that's an indigenous approach. To win souls, you want to make sure they are comfortable with you. Not that in this period, 
the Muslim neighbors bring ram. And you say, ah, thank you very much. When they go, you now throw it in the bin. And you forgot they are your neighbors, so they use the same bin. They now open it and see the meat. They won't listen to you tomorrow. Are you getting what I'm saying? Sometimes we don't know how to, to, we don't know how to pick our battles well. You've heard me talk about Zerubbabel. It means planted in Babylon. It's an indigenous approach. You get in there, understand their culture, dress like them, walk in the palace, and yet refuse to defile yourself with the king's meat. Are you getting what I'm saying? That's the approach. But now, the other part is also important. You know, if you already like the things of the world, you embrace this idea well, that I will be okay. But there is still a warning in there. Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts. You must know when to draw the line. Know when to draw the line. Know when to draw the line. Don't say I'm trying to win a song. The Bible even warns you. John chapter, Galatians chapter 6 from verse 1. If anyone is overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. It says watching your own self also so that you won't be tempted. So you must know where to draw the line. This message is so important. This is how to position yourself in this generation. Like Paul said, in a crooked and perverse nation where we shine as light. I want to end with this. The devil's biggest strategy in this time will be to get you to be sympathetic about things that you should abominate. He will try to get you to see things from a more subjective angle. From a more subjective angle. For, but we are not ignorant of his devices. We're talking about light in the dark world. We said the theme of the month is leading. What does this have to do with leading? Well, everything. Because in line with what we taught on Sunday, if first and foremost you don't approve of the word of God and his objective will for your life, even if he's talking to you, see, subconsciously, our definition of leading is something that is consistent with what we already want. And such a God is a figment of our own imagination, like a genie in a bottle, who only exists to approve what we approve. But then he says, be not, Romans chapter 12 verse 2, conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Come on, are you with me? It's a warning. Be not conformed. You don't, see, if you are not careful, you will lose yourself. And your identity will look too harsh. What is our own self? Let's allow everybody. He will try to get you to reconsider your position. 
are you not to in fact your the devil's definition of love in the end time will be compromise let people do what they want to do you know they are headed towards destruction the devil's de definition of love in this end time will be if you see someone on a train track and the train is charging towards him about to crush him as long as he's having fun maybe because his airpods are on and he's blasting music you know <laughs> something like that don't disturb them let just let them be and this is the bible position even if the person doesn't know that he needs help you have a responsibility to God to help the person notwithstanding. And so even if someone wants to commit suicide, you don't grant the person the person's own rights. You drag the person. Praise the Lord. Don't apologize for the truth. Don't apologize for the truth. Don't apologize for the truth. It is true today. It is true tomorrow. It is true forever. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. Even if it is only eight people, Noah and his family, that believe it, it is, it is still true. Are you getting what I'm saying? Even if it is only eight people, it is still true. And the message of Christ is so prophetic. You know, a lot of people just think, ah, the people in Noah's day were foolish. Why didn't they believe? Don't you understand? Rain had never fallen before. Are you aware? Are you aware? Rain fell for the first time that day. The Bible tells us in Genesis, water used to come from the ground before you reach so how do you, how do you as Noah say, water will fall from, from the sky, sky, and it will flash for 40 days? How, how do you how describe, you describe that? That, that, that? And, and the Bible now tells us that that's an imagery of the end time. And the ark is Christ. Because, because even though because God, God has vowed not to destroy, destroy the world, world with, with fire, fire, with water, with water, water, water. The, the world, Peter says, will be destroyed by fire. It will be destroyed. And so that was an imagery of the end of the world. It's going to happen again. The world are coming again. In fact, they are here. And so you must embrace the character of, Mor of Noah. The mental fortitude to allow you to be able to hold your conviction in spite of contradiction. Not only do you say, okay, I believe it, you don't believe it, my truth, your truth, you know. For you to still constantly build an ark, it took him about 60 years to build. You must really believe that the rain is coming to devote a large chunk of your life preparing for it. A large chunk of your life. Because pursuit is the proof of conviction. 
It's one thing to say, I believe the rain is coming. It's another thing to devote your time and, and, and your energy building the ark. Are you getting what I'm saying? And listen, every time, even though, of course, this hypothetical ark, which is Christ, is already built. But you see, as we invest, you know, in reaching more people, holding more programs, we are doing the work of Noah. And right around us, right as we're in the venue, talking about Christ, everywhere else there's activity. People are just buying, selling, minding their business. These are the days of Noah. Open your eyes. Are you listening to me? The days of Noah are here again. Even if we are few, hold your conviction. You might be the only one in your office, hold your conviction. You might be the only one in your school, hold your conviction. You might be the only one. Because I'm telling you, people will, some will realize when it's too late. They will realize it when it's too late. And animals will take your place in the ark. Animals were safe. This is a prophetic word from the Lord. Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Come on, but be what? Say, I'm transformed by the word. Say, I embrace the wisdom of the word. I want to show you something. There's a lot I'm skipping because of time. But look at, look at the last verse of Romans chapter 1. This is this is, this is God's word to the church today. You're going to need this one. Romans chapter 1 verse 32 is what I'm asking you to open. And I want you to just look at it from your heart, from your spirit, because this is serious. It says, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, Everybody read the next statement together. I want to go. Not only do the same, but also approve what? So it's no longer those who do it, but those who approve it. I'm telling you, there'll be a temptation to take this position in these last days. Well, I don't do it, but I no longer have a problem with it. Uh-uh. He says, they are, you are in the same WhatsApp group. Hallelujah. Paul told the church at Ephesus, don't excuse the fruitless works of darkness. Rather expose it. And listen, that's not to say we just have, there's another extreme. Some Christians are so unkind, so nice. You, you know, you can be nice to someone and still hold your conviction. Say loud amen. amen. And be nice enough to tell them when they're wrong. Not for anything, but because you love them. And this is the word of the Lord. Not just those who do it, but those who have pleasure in them that do it. Light in a dark world. So that's who I am. That's who I am. Say, in a crooked and perverse nation, I shine as light. Say, I'm not afraid of my convictions. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. 
For it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Hallelujah. It's as if Paul knew that the time will come that it will be as if there is an occasion for shame. That those who are teaching falsehood are bold. And those who have the truth are now feeling timid. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Say with conviction, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Stand to your feet and speak in tongues. Speak in tongues. Zataka bataka ba. Runde rebede kibakalia. Runde remene kapaya. Zote rapatako sete kibakate. Zote le makapala tongre sepete. Bonde remene kapataya. Runde remene keperia. Rusataka patongre. Lempele tong sete. Zute kiboko shete. Lempre te kiboko shete kapaya. Randoko prote kepe. Bale tongre sete. Zute kibakatalia. Empre te kiboko shete. Ratakabaya. Rute kepele bakaya, empele kapando, ensonde remenem pokushete, rende rebede kibokushete, aratongre sapatongre, runde lemene mondo, asoteria kapa, empeleto kapalia, runde remene koseta, palatongre sapai, paletongre, apalunde remene kupaya, ensote kepele tongre. Rute le mene kopondi akapai rusete te 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 arara tongre sepe balande re mene kosia balendo sapala embele tonde re benige sute le mene konge te re benige arara paliande re mene moko gede giba rute re mene magataya arasa ta 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 Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name. In a world where people so afraid to take a stand for God. The eyes of God are running to and fro the earth, looking for men and women whose hearts are still after Him. It's one thing to say with your lips that you love Him, but the question tonight is, who shall I send? Who will go? 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 Who shall I send? Who will go? Where do you fall in that first John 14 narrative? Are you a baby? Or are you a young man for the Lord who has overcome the wicked one? It is in this context that he says, you are of God, little children. And have overcome the world. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Listen, it is one thing to just say that loud as you can and shout it excitedly. But the truth is, 
he's talking about something counterculture. That in a world of contradiction, you carry your own atmosphere. Greater is he that is in you. Everybody may be seeing things from a particular standpoint, acting in a particular way, but greater is he that is in you. You are taught of the Lord. You don't need anyone to teach you. You, you don't need anyone to follow you up. He says, all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. That's how to overcome the world. Not just by confession, but by this strong counterculture of the spirits. Greater is he that is in me. You have to have that kind of mentality to like Lot survive in Sodom until it was destroyed. Or like Noah. You know, like I would often say, if Noah compromised, nobody will say, ah, because compromise was the norm. But when you say, as Daniel, everybody is a slave in Babylon. No temple, almost zero accountability, but Daniel proposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat. Daniel proposed in his heart. He's in the palace. He can get away with it. In fact, many people will understand. But Daniel proposed in his heart. Come on, are you with me? I said Daniel proposed in his heart. God is looking for people with strong conviction today. And like I said, it doesn't matter how prayerful you are. If you don't learn this strong conviction. Final text and I'll, I'll pray and I'll drop the mic. A text that I quote very often. 1 Peter 3.15 Please pick your Bibles in your hands, just in case there are people here who don't know it. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says, But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready to give an answer to those who ask the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So, as lights in a dark world, you must be ready to learn. Ready to learn so that when they ask you why you believe what you believe. You don't just say, because I believe it. You can explain it. You can convince people. You can raise disciples. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, do the work of, of, of a diligent student. Go and study what you believe well. Be fully persuaded in your heart. He that waves, wavers, you know, he says, let him not think he can receive anything from God. Say, I'm full of faith. I'm strong in conviction. Say, I'm full of faith. I'm strong in my conviction. Say, thank you, Father. Thank you for this training. Hallelujah. And Lord, I thank you. Thank you for the church you are raising in us. For this training, this discipline. Help us to be doers of your word. Keep us in the evil day. Help our actions to align with our words and our words with our actions in the mighty name of Jesus. For anyone who is going through this particular dilemma I'm talking about, I pray that your strength will help them prevail. I pray that by wisdom, they will open up and be accountable so that the church
can preserve them and even if they have erred, restore them in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Were you blessed? Give the Lord a shout of praise. Glory be to God. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.